While those folk are taking off, why don't we take our Bibles and let's head over to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, as we continue in the second part of what we talked about this morning, getting a grip on discouragement. As you pointed out this morning, we are supposed to be, as believers, people that have joy, people that demonstrate that joy, that show the peace of Jesus Christ that passes all understanding. But it's hard to do. It's hard to do when we watch the news. It's hard to do when we see some events. It's easy to do when the Phillies get to the World Series or something good like that. Then it's fun. Then it's easy. I'm waiting for the Vikings to get to the Super Bowl. But I'll be disappointed later on in the season, I'm sure. But those types of events, they make it easy. But real life doesn't make it always easy for us. In fact, some of the saints that we talked about this morning, they went through real difficulties. And we were, several were talking in the foyer afterwards. And they said, you know, there's almost a sense that it's a shameful thing. It's something that you don't want to share with others. I'm struggling. I feel discouraged. I feel depressed because we hear so often about how we're supposed to be upbeat in our Christian life. And yet we understand that it's a reality. We're all going to probably hit some of those slippery slopes at moments where we get discouraged. Godly people do do that. That does happen. That doesn't mean that you're, you're vulgar in your spiritual life. It doesn't mean that you're away from the Lord and you're being chastened. It could happen that in your service for Christ and you've done so well, just the circumstances overwhelm or just the, the tiredness is overwhelming. And we don't excuse it, but what we need to do is we need to deal with it. And we need to learn how. And so we were looking at a fellow out of First Kings chapter 19, though his story starts in chapter 17, one of the great prophets, one of those who is lauded in the New Testament as one of the heroes of the faith, one of those who is in the hall of faith, as one of those that James says is one of the most outstanding prayer warriors, it's Elijah. And Elijah came to that point. Let me remind you where we were this morning. Elijah did go through multiple trials in his life, in his ministry, though it's only a few chapters that are given. He got down. He did, I mean, he had trials that didn't get him down. And so he had a trial when we talked about how he had to go and confront the king. And he was a hunted man for a period of time. He had just a limited amount of food brought by birds. The brook that he was by, all of a sudden it dried up. Told to go and visit or live with a, this widow woman who had hardly anything. And God provided. But this woman that he was living with, then her son dies. And dies suddenly. And all those trials added up. But he stayed really solid, really strong, really really fearless. It was only after he confronted the king and did the contest where he and the prophets of Baal had that contest of who could call fire down from heaven. Wonderful, fabulous, heroic story of the faith where the prophets, they all day long, they had their, the prophets of Baal had their sacrifice and their incantations, they're carrying on, but no response from their gods, which we, we aren't surprised by. Their gods weren't real. But then when Elijah, when he all of a sudden just builds the altar, soaks it down with fire, he calls down fire from heaven. God responds that way with that fire, and as a result, the people are just enthused and excited, and we're going to follow Jehovah worship. We're going to follow God, the, the Lord God Almighty. And so they take the prophets of Baal like they should have done a long time ago, all 850, and executed them. And it seems like revival has finally hit the land that has been hard-hearted for decades. But the queen who wasn't there, Ahab's wife Jezebel, she hears about it. And she is determined to put an end to this. She doesn't care that the rain has finally come back. She doesn't care about the political fallout of all this. She is only concerned about her power, herself, her situation. 
She is like politicians throughout history who are all about power and not about the people. And so when she hears that all of a sudden there's this revival happening, she responds. She threatens Elijah. She wants to have him killed. She, if she wanted him killed, she would have sent an assassin. She wants him to run, and he does. He gets the note. He flees for his life. And she, as, a, as a result, all of a sudden he runs away from even the region where he's assigned to, to be shepherding and ministering. He runs to the southern kingdom. He gets down there and he's at a point where all of a sudden he says, yeah, I'm going to leave my servant. I'm going to be by myself. I don't want to be around anybody. He goes off into the wilderness and he sits down under a tree and says, I want to die. God, take my life. It's so ironic. He ran because he wanted to save his life, but now he wants to die. And so there he is in this wilderness and he's so discouraged, so despondent. What do you do with somebody like this? What, how do you deal with them? Okay, well, God starts dealing with him by saying, okay, here, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to take you to Mount Horeb. And there, when we get to Mount Horeb, I need to talk with you. And when God gets him there, God starts answering, asking questions, very simple questions. What are you doing? What are you doing here? And so he asks him that question. And Elijah's response is, I am, he's so discouraged. He's like, I am, I, 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 I just don't deserve this. I and I only have, have, uh, have stood firm. And, and this, this has all happened to me. It shouldn't happen. I want to remind you of something I didn't emphasize enough this morning. There are weeks that this has been going on. He goes into the wilderness in 40 days. So this, this attitude of discouragement and God being unfair to me isn't a momentary Monday morning blues. This is for weeks. It's been building, building, building. He is, he is at this spot where he is determined, he is persistent, and he argues with God. By the way, if you're arguing with God, who's going to win the argument? Okay. So he's very persistent. And, um, and to add to this, he's got to justify somehow he just ruined a revival. He just put to end a national revival that they've been praying for and working for for a long time. He, he just, he just, why? He doused it, the fire of God with water. And so he's got to justify it. I and I only have served God and there's nobody else and they still want to kill me after all that I've done. And so there he is and God deals with him and he's at the point, he's given up my big question is, okay, you know, how do you get somebody out of that pit of despair? How do you get out of that pit of despair if you end up there? How do you tell a partner? How do you tell a, a friend of yours? How do you tell a, a, a fellow church member, a worshiper, a fellow believer? How do you instruct them? How do you, what do you say to somebody who is so overcome by their own troubles and trials that they need to get over it? What do you do? How do you work with them? And so the question is, what does God tell him? How does God deal with him? That should give us some insight how to help ourselves and how do we help one another. So let's go through it. Let's just see. What is, what is the counseling? Where does it go this way? The first thing that God deals with that I want you to catch is God takes care of his body needs, his physical needs first. That is very contrary to what I want to do. If I'm dealing with somebody who's discouraged, I want to bring out the Bible and just, you know, unload the scriptures. 
It is interesting that God doesn't do that with this man. Now again, this man is mature. This man has been faithful. This man knows better. So maybe, maybe in a different setting, it would be a little bit altered. But I want you to catch in chapter 19 that when he says, I want to die, and God deals with him, first thing that happens, verse 5, he lay and slept underneath the juniper tree. And behold, the angel grabbed him by the neck, shook him, and said, what are you doing? Is that what your Bible reads? Okay, what's your Bible read? The angel did what? Touched him and what? Get up, arise, and... Okay, and then he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his feet. Who put it there? He didn't do it. Who did it? Okay, God did, whether God did it or the angel did it, it's there. He did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came the second time, shook him and said, what are you doing here? No. What does the angel of the Lord do? Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. May I suggest this? Okay. That you and I need to, need to recognize that if our physical body is totally out of whack with sleep, with whatever, it's going to affect our spirit. And one of the things we need to is we need to get, back, get in, in line physically. Okay, in this sense, he's worn out. God in his grace deals with his physical needs, sending the angel, allowing him time to sleep, as well providing the nourishment he needed. Uh, can, can, I, can I throw this out? So you have a little kid, and that little kid doesn't get an amount, a good amount of sleep. How do they act? How does this child of yours that hasn't rested, how obedient are they? How good attitude are they? How mannerly do they become? Does a lack of sleep affect us? It really does. It really is. And God in his wisdom in dealing with them says, let's deal with some of the physical. Let's not ignore it. Now, the reason I think this is important, I grew up and I was trained this way. I was trained that in, when it comes to biblical counseling, we don't deal with recognizing physical issues. It's not all, it's physical. Everything resolve, revolves around spiritual issues. If somebody has a baby and they're getting depressed afterwards, that's because she's probably not right with the Lord. Wait a minute. What could it be? Postpartum depression. But I grew up in a generation that taught we don't recognize those things. Those things aren't valid issues. I beg to differ now from a training I had. There are times we need to address physical issues. There are times we need to address chemical issues. If somebody is not on the regular amount, if they're diabetic and they're into you know, a fluctuation, can it affect their attitude? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there is a value to this. I, I'll just do one simple. If, if, if when I, before I had my eye surgery and it corrected, I can't, uh, those of you who knew uh, at that time years ago, I couldn't see more than five feet in front of me. If I didn't wear my glasses for an extended period of time, I would get horrific headaches. So I just memorize a verse and the headache's going to go away. No. What's the simple cure? Wear my glasses. Wear my glasses. So is there value to physical, medical, nutritional? Is there value to that? 
Yes. Can it, be, can it be swung too much that we blame everything or try to cure everything with medications and pills? We know that, that there's an abuse that way. But God, in his wisdom, God says, okay, I want you to get ready because I want to deal with you physically, uh, spiritually. Before I deal with you phys- uh, spiritually, I want, I, want your, I want you to be physically sharp. And so I, th- I find this to just be very, very insightful and important that we who are counseling somebody, we who are helping somebody, that we recognize that this is a real issue and that what we do <clears throat> is we address physical needs, not just spiritual needs. We take that into account. Number two, what we do is, what we, do is we realize that sometimes just something so simple as taking a break is really, really important. Getting away from the pressures of life. I know that there is a person that we all highly think of. We consider him to be the exceptional individual who when he had his group of followers, he dealt with them this way. There's a time when Jesus called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits. They went out, they preached that men should repent. They cast out devils. They anointed with oil many that were sick. They healed them. They were having an Elijah-type experience. And then he goes on, he says, the apostles gathered themselves to Jesus, told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And everybody's enthusiastic, excited. There's a work to be done. The work is happening. What does Jesus do at this moment? Jesus said unto them, Come apart into the desert place and... Wait a minute, there's still work to do. There is always going to be work to do. Okay? But come apart and rest a while, for there were many coming and going that they had no leisure so much as to eat. Does Jesus realize the value of taking a break? If you don't take a break, you're going to break. Okay, so we have that as Jesus you know, did the same thing. Remember he had the, they were out all night fishing. This is after Jesus resurrected. And he's going to meet them by the Sea of Galilee. And they fished all night. He yells out, did you catch anything? Nothing. They don't know who it is. And he says, throw the net on the other side. They get so many fish. Peter recognizes it's Jesus. He jumps in the water, leaves the others to do all the work, swims to shore. And what does Jesus have prepared for them after an all-night work? Before he talks to them, he feeds them. Is there value to eating uh, the right moments, the right time? It really is. It, it has a tremendous difference in our lives. So I think that in counseling and in dealing with things, you and I need to say, okay, it's a, there's this principle. It is okay to take a break from serving the Lord, from doing busy things. You need a break. Do parents need a break from their kids at times? Or you will break those kids. <laughs> You need a break. You need a date. You need to do that. Do you and I need a break from... This is going to sound so horrible, and some are going to run the wrong way. Do we need a break from ministry service sometimes? You do. You do. Don't take this wrong. I, I don't mean this in a bad way. I love you folk. I love it here. I need a break from you. From just dealing with things every so often. Just need a break. I remember my mentor in ministry, he would just go away to his cabin every, every six, eight weeks for just a couple days and just him and the Lord just to be refreshed. And I used to think, how could he squeeze that time in? Well, if he didn't squeeze the time in, he was going to be squeezed. 
And so there's real value to it. It is good to let others... Now, think this through. Because some of us in this room say, I'm going to help you, I'm going to minister, but we don't, uh, don't like it when others minister to us physically. Because we can do it. We're, we're Superman! Okay? It is good to let others physically minister to us at times as they are a godsend to us to give us a break, to give us some help. So, number one, let's, let's talk about that idea of making sure you deal with the physical. Number two, okay, God is dealing with Elijah. Readjust your thinking, man. You've got to readjust your thinking. <clears throat> Elijah's thinking is these trials are horrible. These trials are bad. So let, let's just talk about that. Okay, Elijah is just like, this is awful, this is horrible. You and I know from other scripture, not all trials are bad. We've got to stop and remind ourselves, not all trials are bad. Can you give me a verse that tells that? Do you have a verse? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. For they're basically, I'm not going to be able to say it quoted perfectly, but they're for the maturing or the perfecting of the saints. Okay? All things... Okay, we know these verses. And the attitude that we're supposed to do is renew our thinking, change our thinking. Time and time again, the Bible is all about how we think, how we think, how we think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So let's go back to our thinking. I have to remember when trials come and troubles come, and I get a note from a Jezebel. You know, if we were that person, we have to remember this isn't always evil. God can use it. God can work. God isn't cast off his throne at those moments. Think through these trusts. There's, there's a story that goes about Thomas Edison. You all know about him from history. If you, if you were in school before modern school where they don't talk about these heroic people anymore. But Edison was an inventor. He's doing the alkaline battery. Ten years of research on trying to come up with a battery. It has exhausted his financial supply. He's got all these chemicals there. And right before Christmas Eve, his plant started, to, started on fire. It was such a huge fire with all those chemicals. And this was going to be so devastating to him financially. His son came to the, to the spot and saw his dad watching this fire. There was already eight different fire companies from around the area there to battle this fire. It was so massive. And his dad was just standing there. And his son walked up and says, Dad, are you okay? He says, okay. Son, go get your mom. Go tell her to get her friends. They're never going to see a fire like this in their entire life. Does attitude, perspective make a difference? It really does how we deal with issues. And so we have to readjust our thinking, and we have to remember this. Now, here's where Elijah was. Elijah said, it's too much. Take my life. What's he mean by that? This is more than I can bear. This is more than I can handle. What would you tell somebody that says, this is too much. God's given me too much. What verse would you give them? Uh, I, 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 God is faithful who will not allow you to be above that you are. Okay, this is, this, God knows you. God knows us so well, he knows even to the very minutest parts of us. He knows the, Henry, does he know what we can bear? Absolutely. So God knows if you have a trial that comes to your life, God knows he can handle it. God knew, Elijah, Elijah, I know you're tired. I know this is a tough time, but you, you, you were strong enough. 
You just gave in. You gave up. You gave in. You let your fears run rampant. You let your irrational thinking. God may even, God may even let a trial in our life to mature us, to stretch us. So we've got to readjust our thinking about the trial. We've got to readjust our thinking about how God is working. We've got to readjust our thinking about ourselves. In this passage, remember what he says? He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord my God. In other words, I don't deserve this. Well, the bottom line is, if God gave us what we deserve, we would be in hell. Yeah. Yeah. So Elijah is thinking too highly of whom? Right? Right? And so, hey, you gotta, you got to stop this, okay? What I find interesting is after he says that the second time, jump further in the story, and, we're just, and I know I'm, I'm bouncing around, but he insists the second time after God says, what are you doing here? And he says, verse 14, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of Israel. He says, because the children of Israel, it's all their fault, they forsook the covenant, they threw down the altars, they slew the prophets, I, even I only am left, and they seek my life. It is interesting God doesn't debate with him. It is interesting that God doesn't, doesn't say anything in a rebuke initially. What does God say? Go, return in your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you come, anoint Hazael to be king of Syria, and Yehu, the son of Nimshai, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. I find this fascinating. God doesn't argue with him. God just says, wait a minute. I'm the boss. I'm telling you what you're supposed to do. You belong to me. I'm in charge, not you. And you, as a prophet, you represent me. You work for me. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get back to work. I want you to go back and do what your prophet's supposed to do. No argument, but a very clear a very clear statement from the Lord that basically says, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. I don't know about you, but there are moments I have to have that discussion with God where God has to set me straight and say, you're not in charge, I am. And so in this moment, God says, and, and Elijah says, I only am left. I'm the only one who's fighting the good fight. Nobody has done what I have done. I am alone. It's just me. And I mentioned this this morning. You can look it up for, you know, earlier in the account. When he was being hunted by, Elijah, uh, by Ahab's army, he helped to hide 100, 100 other prophets of God. So when he is saying, nobody understands, nobody has it as bad as me, he knows better. He knows better. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common. Okay, we whine at times. We say, nobody has the job I have. Nobody has the spouse I have. Nobody has the kids I have. Nobody has the rotten church that I have. I've never said that. Okay. But we get to those moments. And the reality is, that's just not true. You aren't this unique individual. Others have gone down the path you have before. Number one. Number two, you know, this idea is, takes right back to that, that thought, that God reminds him and says, in fact, not only are you denying what you already know, but I have 7,000 others who have not bowed unto Baal. 
Just to put it the record straight, you're not alone, buddy. You're not alone. Which is going to play into what happens in the next few verses. You're not alone. You're not the only one who's been here. You're not the only one who's ever gone through it. This was me. This was one of the thoughts that when I went to college, um, and, no, and none of you would have done this, but I, in my silliness, I went to college. I knew I wanted to be in the ministry. I knew God had put a calling on my life. And I thought, okay, this is going to be cool. College is going to be great. After the first two weeks of it, college wasn't so great. Especially the thought, I've got four years of this. And those four years, they went so slow while I was in it. Now I look back and it was like, okay, you know how it is. They, they, t- people would tell us this all the time when our kids were little, enjoy it because it'll be like, and you say, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, in the middle of the night when the kids would cry and it was like, yeah, yeah, sure, it's going fast. But it went like, okay. now I look back. So in college, I was like, oh, this is... And for me, that meant for the college and the degree I wanted, four years of college, another four years of seminary, and some time after that. And it was like, wow. I just made it to Thanksgiving vacation my freshman year. I've got ten more years of school. Yeah. And you know what kept me going? What, and I remember this. I remember walking across campus multiple times and thinking... Pastor Kittle did it. Pastor Odins, they did it. If they could do it, I can too. They survived. And they were doing, they were doing a tremendous ministry and were impacting my life. And it was like, this can be done. I'm not the only one. So let me add something else. You've got to think, change your thinking about others. You've got to change your thinking about others. Remember, we mentioned this. He's highly critical of others. He's, he's dissing everybody else, that they aren't, they aren't standing the way he has. So we talked about that whole hypercritical. God is telling him, and we already mentioned this, you're not alone, okay? Others are dealing with the same thing, so change your attitude. Change your attitude about what you're thinking about others. They do understand. They are going through it, and you are not, you know, so exceptional. Now, right back to where we, where we started here a few moments ago. Change your thinking about God. Okay, not just your trial, but God. There's a, there's a true account that happened a number of years ago, 79. There's this tugboat going on this river. And this tugboat, you can see the black in front of it. That's these coal beds that they're pushing down the river. And because of where this river was in Alabama and the way it went under this bridge, this, the procedure was you would get close enough and you would release the coal uh, rafts, beds, whatever they were, and they would go under, and then the tugboat was to turn, use its powerful engine, and go towards the other side of the river and go where there was that side where there was this drawbridge at that end. But the, the coals had to go underneath this region. So this fellowman, this captain, had his whole crew. They got on the coal rafts, barges, whatever you want to call them, and they were riding them underneath the bridge. He put the motor in gear, and as he put the motor in gear and was going to run parallel to the bridge and get over on this side, this is what happened to him. All of a sudden, he got caught in the current. He goes against the bridge, and then he gets sucked under the bridge. And after he gets sucked under the bridge, he pops up on the other side. And he comes up, and all this water, the captain alone is in the pilot house, hanging on for dear life. The water is coming out of the boat. 
But he basically went under, got sucked up, and came up out the other end and said it was the shock of his life. (laughs) Why did the boat come back up? That boat had been built in such a way that it had the buoyancy that it would, even if it flipped, it would right itself up. Do you realize that God has put within you the buoyancy spiritually, with the Spirit of God within you, that you will pop up? That you will not be sucked down and taken down totally for a long time? So you and I, instead of running from God, where do we need to run? We need to run to Him, okay? And so he in this situation is where he is wondering why God put him in this impossible spot. And God responds. And this is where we were ending in the morning. God responded with, with loud silence, deafening silence. When all of a sudden you have the wind and the earthquake and the rocks are shaking, and there's the fire outside and there's the tornado, the breeze. And God was not in any of them, but a still small voice. And what he needed to come to reconcile, come to grips with, is these thoughts. That God, when God is ministering to me, when God is answering me, when God is speaking to me, it's not always the marvelous. It could be the very mundane. God is not weakened by our trials or troubles. That was the first lesson Elijah needed to learn. God is not weakened by our troubles or trials. He had to remind himself, God doesn't always work the way we think he should work. We think that God should be on the spot. God should be moving quickly. God should be getting things taken care of. Yesterday, God's timetable isn't our timetable. But God always does what is the best. We need to remind ourselves that God often works through the normal, the mundane the way God provides, the way God deals with us. You know, the still small voice that says, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, not this miracle. God's work is not always glamorous, but it often is just grinding it out. That's the way God works, more often than not. The reason I say that is he says, go and anoint Hazael and anoint Yehu to be the kings, the next kings. It is those two that get rid of Jezebel 20 years later. God knows what he's doing, but his timetable isn't the same timetable as us. Okay, so you know this is true. I can put up here, how does God provide for your family? We all want publisher, publishing clearinghouse to show up at our door on October 30th, and it's done, and it's phenomenal. And, oh, praise God that they came and gave me $7,000 a week for the rest of my life. And we're waiting for that. But actually, in reality, how does God provide for most of us? The grinding it out of every week going to work and God giving us jobs. How How does God take care of our physical needs? We want it to be miraculous. We want it to be phenomenal. We don't want to go to the Hershey Medical Center. We want to come to church and have it all taken care of. But in reality, where does it often end up with? An illness that could take a period of time. It could take a surgery. And you know how surgeries are. You get a major surgery and in two weeks everything's back to normal. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work. Hey, what about this? We want godly kids. We birthed them. God, make them godly. 
How long does it take to be training those kids? <laughs> we want to reach a relative for Christ. We want, to, we want to see our relative saved, yes? Okay, we want to see him born again. How often does it take, how, how, you know, how does it normally work? It takes us a long time to reach a relative. We've got it time and time again, and praying and praying. And it's usually not this phenomenal situation that's just miraculous, though there, that happens. But usually it's going to take you having, ever, you having to live a Christ-like life consistently before them for how long? Not just one week. Because when you first get saved, what do they think it is? It's a fad. This too shall pass. And they need to see that. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about rebuilding broken relationships. You got a broken relationship with a family member? Oh, that's easy. I'll just call them up and say, you were wrong, I was right. It takes a long time to rebuild at times. It takes a long time to make a difference in school. You know, classmates, they're watching you at college, and they're, you know, it might take a, a, a few semesters to really impact them. Because they're watching. They're looking. You have a great marriage? Oh, we, we didn't put any effort into it. No. To have a great marriage, was there a lot of work day after day after day? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Month after month. It's a grind. That's the way God usually works. And so we need to remember, God often speaks in the mundane, and he ministers in a quiet voice, in a quiet time. So the bottom line is, we don't, in the trials, don't run away from him. You're going the wrong way. Run to him. Run to him. So readjust the thinking. Number three, get around godly people. This is so simple, but it is so incredibly profound. God says to Elijah, and he's dealing with him. He's, he's got this grumpy prophet who is insistent. And he says, okay, I want you to go back to work. I want you to go and anoint Haziel and Yehu. And then verse 16, middle of the verse. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Abel, Meholah. I practiced that. Okay. <laughs> Shaphat of Abel, Meholah. Since I practiced, I'm going to do it a third time. Okay. Of Shaphat of Abel, Meholah. Shalt thou anoint to be prophet in your room. Etc., etc., etc. Okay? And then the, the rest of the story, the rest of the chapter, he goes and he gets Elisha to work with him. There's, there's some real beauty here. There's some real important thought here. This idea isn't that I am totally done. Here's I've heard this preach. I'm totally done with you. You're done. You're on the shelf. You'll never be used again. Uh, Elijah is used again, even to train Elisha. Okay, he's not totally shelved. Don't run with that. But what he does is he has to train this next generation prophet. He's, you know, he's, he has put, and there is some truth to this, he has put his reputation and his impact, he has really jeopardized it in the long run. By running from the revival, it's going to be tough for him to be the key, ping, key pin figure to get it going again. Because he, that running has, has put a blemish on him. However, is he still usable? The answer is yes. Yes, he's usable. So go get Elisha, develop a closer relationship. And so what happens is Elisha is going to train Elijah. 
And so Eli, I, I said that backwards. Elijah is going to train Elisha, so Elisha needs Elijah. Say that three times quickly, okay? And vice versa, they, they basically, they need one another. And so he's saying, get around somebody who's godly, who can help you, and you can help them. What, what a wonderful thought. What a wonderful truth. Develop friendships and relationships with people who are spiritually focused. You're discouraged. You feel defeated. Don't run away from godly people. Get around them. Tremendous mistake. Tremendous mistake. When people get discouraged and get depressed and they start questioning God, what's one of the first things they stop going to? Church. If you're sick, what's one of the first places you should be going to if you're really sick? To the doctor, to the hospital. If you're spiritually struggling, what's one of the first places you should run to? Church where you can get fed, where you can get encouraged. But our enemy is so clever, he gets us to do the opposite. Biblically, develop friendships and relationships with those who are spiritually focused. Let's take another. Seek to minister together. Take an Elisha, you know, Elijah, get an Elisha and don't stop working. But in fact, why don't you work together? Why don't you, as you're training him, why don't you do the prophet stuff? Uh, Do you do realize what happens here? In the next accounts, they have the school of prophets that these two guys develop, and they train a whole generation of other preachers. Can Elijah speak from a failure about what not to do? Oh, absolutely. You know how that is. You can teach your kids more about what not to do than what to do. Okay, and so here's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, I want you to go get together, start working together. Same thing, if you're dealing with somebody or if you're struggling, do a Bible study with somebody. Go together and visit some elderly and shut-ins. Just minister together. Don't run away from it, run to it and say, okay, let's work together. Challenge each other in areas where you need to grow. Don't just settle for approving each other. Oh, you're okay, I'm okay, we don't need to grow. No, we all need somebody who is spiritually going to challenge us and prod us along and to help us find a godly friend. So we say, okay, number four, get involved in ministering to others. Get involved with ministering to others. Typically, people who are discouraged, they just stop attending they, don't, they back away from ministry after ministry after ministry, saying, I'm just so tired. I'm so, and I, I understand that. I understand you need a break at times. That is, and I, I think it's appropriate. But the problem is, sometimes when people take a break, they don't, they don't return to ministry. They don't come back. They don't, stay, they don't ever return to being involved again. You know, and that doesn't help you spiritually. You do realize that some of the times you learn the most Bible is when you have to study it to give to somebody else. So don't abdicate ministry totally. If you need a break, take a break. But don't abdicate. Don't run away from it. Get back to it in some form of ministry so that you're helping other people. Because have, you, have this ever happened to you? You're going to go and visit the Burgrass because they've been sickly. They're, they're you know, elderly and they're just wiped out and they haven't been in church for a long time. And so we're going to go visit the Burgrass and we're going to be an encouragement to them. And haven't you ever happened, it hasn't happened to you, you go to visit somebody be an encouragement and you walk away going, Wow! 
They told me their life story. They shared how God answered prayers in their life. And I walked away more blessed than, than ever. Does it work that way? Oh yeah, God does it all the time. God does that type of work. So return unto your way, anoint Hazael to be the king. And I want you to remember, what is the prophet's job? To anoint the kings. That, that's part of his job. In other words, get back to... Have you ever run into people who during COVID so afraid, don't want to go to work, don't want to get sick, and I know we need to be careful, don't want to go to work, don't want to go get sick, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to be in my house, I'm going to stay there, not see anybody, not talk to anybody, and months after COVID, they're still in the house, and they still don't want to go to work. And they still want to sit by the wayside and they expect money to come to them instead of them working for it. Does that ever happen in America? And the Bible says, if you don't work, get a job. And the person says to you, but I can't find one. And right behind us is, now hiring sign. Okay. Has, it, has it happened? You run into people in that situation? Well, God says, I want you to get back to work. It was his job. He's directed to do his normal type of work. That's what I find interesting. God says, get back to doing whatever I've called you to. Get back to it. Don't abdicate. And, you know, it's going to take you a while. But just work at it. Work at it. Work at it. But get to ministering. Whatever that ministry job is, whether it's ministering here, whatever that ministry job God has given you, do it. Do it. Do you need a break from it once in a while? Absolutely. But do it. God is telling him to get busy about the work of the Lord. So our lessons are real simple here. God is a place of service for even those who hit bottom. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? That the word of the Lord came the second time unto Jonah. Isn't it wonderful that God says, I still have a job for you, Elijah. I mean, think about it. Would you fire Elijah if you were God? He just destroyed a tremendous revival. All by himself, he put a gabosh to it. Would you want to use him again? God says, I'm going to use you. Don't you find this encouraging? That God doesn't shelve us forever? That God will still use us even after we do stupid stuff? We get down and we, we might even hurt other people by our reactions, by our lack of actions. And God still uses them. God has a way, God's way of helping someone who is discouraged is to get that person to be productive again. This is, this is a very important biblical truth. Man was created to be productive. Man was created to work. Right? Okay, just remind you, was work before or after the fall? Before the fall. We are designed to be producing and productive peoples. Even in eternity, for those who give you the silly idea, we're going to float around on a cloud and be absolutely bored. That is so unbiblical. What are we going to do in heaven? We're going to work. We're going to work. We're going to have jobs to do. Because our God is a worker. He has us work. That's where we find productivity, satisfaction. 
that rest that he talks about. This includes ministering to other people, which we've already talked about. So discouraged people who often want to isolate themselves, you make sure, you make sure you're dealing with them. They cannot, do not allow them to withdraw themselves from helping others. Engage them, enlist them to come with you to go and minister, to come and work with you, to come and do a job with you. God's prescription is the opposite of what our spirit says. Our spirit says, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm discouraged, I'm not going to do anything. And God's prescription is, get up off your backside and get to work. So let me give you one more thought here, okay? As we're walking, get a good confidant. Get a good confidant. Let's wind down with this, this idea. Who is, well, I, I, I hit the button too often. The confidant for Elijah is God himself. Watch God as a counselor. This, is just, this to me is fascinating. Find somebody who, is a, who can help you out. A good counselor, a good confidant. He is compassionate. How do you see compassion in the way God deals with Elijah? What's that? He's, he fed him, took care of him physically. What else did God do? What's that? Gives him another chance. Didn't let him wallow in his discouragement. This is, this is God's compassion. Just, you can just put it down. He gave him time. He took time to meet and talk with him. Okay. Does it take time from your schedule to minister to somebody? It will. It will. Okay. And that's not bad. He didn't belittle or scold Elijah. Does Elijah already know he's done wrong? Yeah, because what does he say? I am not as good as... My he already knows he's blowing it. So the compassionate counselor doesn't say, you blew it. I know. I know. Yeah, you really blew it big time. I know. That, that person at that moment, have you ever been there where you know you blew it and you don't need them to kick you and to grind the heel in? You already know you blew it. So in compassion, he doesn't belittle or scold, okay? He doesn't rehearse the whole thing. He's patient. In patient. What are you doing here, Elijah? I, 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 I. What are you doing here, Elijah? I, 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 I. Now, my dad used to say when people would give him lip, I'm going to clop him across the side of the head. Okay, that was his idea of just solving everything. God doesn't do that with Elijah. God is very patient with him, asking him a question so that he can examine himself. I just find this absolutely wonderful that the wise counselor doesn't always give an answer. Did you catch this? The wise counselor didn't give the answer. He asked a question. Why? It doesn't pay to counsel somebody and you give them all the answers. You've got to get them to think for themselves. They've got to figure this out themselves. Now, you may have to guide them in it, but wisdom, a wise counselor, is going to ask a lot of questions. Probing questions. Questions that will get you to think through, wait a minute, what did I do? Why am I here? You know, instead of just saying, okay... I, I got to get going. I've got two minutes here. I'll give you the three, three quick answers, A, B, C, and it's all done. 
We don't want that from a doctor. We want him to answer, you know, we have questions. We want him to give us information. Well, the way that God gives us information oftentimes is a still small voice that asks us questions, that probes our heart. And so here's what we've got in this situation that, oops, I'll hit the right button. It was God who led him here. God asked him the question twice, and it's not to get information. It's guiding Elijah. What a wise counselor. That's the type of person you want to find. You want to find, and this goes to what you said, Patty. This goes to the idea of a counselor with convictions. Because most people, when they want a counselor, they say, I'm going to hire a counselor. They want the counselor to approve of what they're doing. Have you ever run into people that way? We're going to a marriage counselor. And he's not a good counselor because he told me something I don't want to hear. Okay? I hear that all the time. We went to this guy, and I don't like him because that guy pointed out things that were wrong. Well, maybe, maybe you needed to hear. You were looking for somebody to agree with you. That's not a good counselor that totally agrees, unless, it's, unless you're doing what's biblical. But if somebody's in a you know, rocky situation, relationship, where there's bitterness, you can't agree with them 100%. You've got to show them from the Word of God where they need to change. You know, th- this, this is my personal practice and policy is if people come and sit in my office and they want counseling, and if Deb comes in and wants to talk about her husband Wayne and wants to tell me all about his faults, I don't need to hear that because Wayne isn't here. The person I'm going to deal with is, is Deb. She's the one sitting before me. To tell her what Wayne should do does no good. For that to happen, Wayne's got to come in. So I'm not going to sit here and tell Deb what Wayne has to do. I'm going to tell Deb what Deb has to do. Because that's the person we're dealing with. And so in this case, God is going to deal with with him. Though Elijah was insistent, very justifying, God doesn't give in to him. God God hears him. But God doesn't let him get away with his false ideas, his false accusations. I and I only am left. No, you're not. 5,000. Did I say it wrong? Okay, 7,000. 7,000 others have not bowed the knee. God challenges him in his thinking. He corrects him right away. He doesn't let him go on with his self-pity. Okay, I'm not going to leave you in this cave. This isn't good for you to sit here. You get up and you go on your way. You go and start getting busy. What a wise counselor. What a, what a tremendous... You know, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to help you. But just, if you want to get over discouragements, get around a godly person who will tell you the truth. Get, not just agree with you, not just pamper you, get around somebody who will tell you the truth based on God's Word. And if you get around that person, not only pick that person, but then what do you have to do? You have to listen to them. You have to listen to them, hear what they're saying, digest what they're saying. Maybe you don't, maybe they don't have the full story. I understand it. But listen to it. Take into account some of what they're saying. Digest it. Go over it. If you want to help a discouraged friend, tell them what God says. Not what they want to hear. Tell them what they need to hear from God's Word. Don't let them continue unchallenged in self-pity, errant thinking, false accusations. Don't let it happen. Don't let them rip on somebody else and how bad their, their family member is. Don't let that continue. Okay, that is just, 
the, you know, your attitude towards that family member is, I, I understand that you're hurt, but your attitude towards them is wrong. Yeah, but you don't understand what they hurt me. Yeah, I understand they hurt you, but your attitude is wrong. They need to, we need to be challenged biblically for what is right. And so you have all of this, you put together and you say, okay, so what do we have? We have a guy who had the sure case of the blues and God gave him a sure cure for the blues. And God's wisdom was really, really profound. So we wrap up and say, okay, I want to remember this. Godly believers, you and me, we can and do get discouraged at times. That doesn't mean we're unsaved. That doesn't mean God is done with us. It means we're going through ups and downs in our lives. It means that you know, we could get into a real severe problem if we're not careful. And discouragement and depression where we start getting stubborn against listening to God. Got to be careful. But you need to be patient and persistent. It is, recovery is slower than what you want. I want God to restore the joy of my salvation now. Okay, let me, let me give you a silly illustration. I'm in Minnesota. Minnesota has ditches. Okay, those are these steep banks around all the roads. They do it so that when it snows, you have a place to plow the snow. Okay, and that's because of their, their country. But you can go in these ditches, and they're usually about from here's the road. The ditch might come up to about where you're sitting, Bob. That'll be the field. But the whole thing in between is a ditch, maybe a little bit less. And it's usually about a six-foot drop. If I go into the ditch with my car, and I told you my grandpa would do this. He would drive down the road, drive into the ditch, and then come driving back out. And we'd be going, Grandpa, what are you doing? Well, you've got to know how to drive into the ditch if you have to ever get off the road. <laughs> Typically speaking, if you ended up in a ditch, do you come out as fast as you went in? No, you don't. No, you don't. Usually you get into the ditch, and maybe you're going to get back out by crawling out, and then you have to do what to get back to where you were? You have to accelerate. It's going to take some time. That's the way it is in the spiritual life. Usually if we, if we have those down moments, it's going to take us a little bit of time. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with that other person. They have to be moving forward, but be patient. Can I end with this? Be grateful that God forgives you. Be grateful that when you and I give in to self-pity... It's wrong. It's inappropriate. When we get into that critical spirit, it's wrong. It's inappropriate. When we think that God has bailed on us, that's wrong. That's inappropriate. When we all of a sudden say, God, you know, I'm the only one. It's wrong. It's inappropriate. Be grateful God forgives you. That he forgives us again and again and again.